This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to A Turn on the Jets Digital special presentation, Meet the Candidates. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And we're going to talk about the candidacy of Adam Gase, former offensive coordinator for the Chicago Bears, former offensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos, but most recently and most importantly, Former head coach for the Miami Dolphins. So if we're going to talk about somebody that was heavily involved with the Miami Dolphins, I had to go to the person that I know that knows more about the Dolphins than anybody should know about any topic ever. He is the host of Locked On Dolphins, runs LockedOnDolphins.com, Mr. Travis Wingfield. Travis, thanks so much for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. So let's get right into it. As I said, you know more about the Dolphins than anybody should ever know about anything, and that means that you know plenty about Adam Gase. You wrote an outstanding article over at Locked on Dolphins, and I want to get to that. But first, tell me the positives of Adam Gase. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, I came out of this phone call with you kind of expecting to, to trash Adam Gase in a lot of ways, but I don't want to be – that would be a typical Dolphins fan thing to do, right, just to pile on the negatives. But there are positives there with Adam Gase, and a couple of those things are the fact that he has always done a great job of manufacturing scoring opportunities for different players, whether it's in the red zone or the big play threat. He finds a way to build shots into his offense, and he found Jarvis Landry nine touchdowns back in 2017, a guy that really is kind of allergic to the end zone. So he, he's good in that way. And obviously his, his track record with good quarterbacks in the past, Peyton Manning being really the one, is, is there and apparent. And the scheme, really, the scheme really is good. It's just extremely hard for a quarterback it's not on that same level to execute. So he has a good scheme. He has, you know, redeeming qualities, but we'll talk about more of that here, I'm sure, soon. So let me ask you then, along those lines, since you were talking about being able to manufacture points and being able to manufacture touches for certain guys, would you say that his use of personnel and the overall roster was good, bad, somewhere in between? Probably about as bad as you can do it, because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, he, re, he loves these veteran guys that, I mean, like Frank Gore and Danny Amendola at points in the season were focal points in the Dolphins' offense. And don't get me wrong, Frank Gore was awesome this year, better than I ever thought he would be. I was such a hater on him all season long because I personally believe that Kenyon Drake has superstar potential, and he just was kept in the garage almost all year long. I mean, the guy scored nine touchdowns, six of them were for 20-plus yards away, so he's just a explosive playmaker, as evidenced by the Miami Miracle, but... Gaze just leaned on these veterans that he can trust. Uh, once, once Albert Wilson went out, who also was a part-time player when he was dominating the early part of the season, he was a part-time player. He gets injured, and Jakeem Grant, who was having similar success in, as far as big plays, he, his workload gets relegated, and Danny Amendola goes from a 90% guy to a 100% guy. So I just don't trust him to play the right guys ever. He's always had a problem with that. So, Travis, when it comes to Gase, he's known for being a great offensive mind, and you talked a little bit about how he was able to do some things with the scheme and manufacture points and touches and all of that, and then you just touched on how he relied a little too much on the veterans. Why do you think that the offense, and I know there were injuries, so we can talk about that too, but why do you think that the offense for a guy who's known as an offensive whiz kid was at the bottom of the league the last couple of years? You know, quarterback plays a really easy way to point to that as far as saying that, like, for an excuse for Adam Gaze. And it is a legitimate excuse for him. I think that he, obviously, Brock Osweiler and Jay Cutler were, this year, Brock Osweiler was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL for my money. And last year, Jay Cutler was right there in that conversation as well. And then Ryan Tannehill this year, obviously, you guys, you know, that I was a big proponent of him coming into the season. 
but he regressed big time. And, and the mental aspect of the game for Tannehill, and then he takes that shoulder injury, then the ankle injury, and it just seemed like he kind of became David Carr of the Houston Texans, you know, back in the early 2000s. Like, he is totally gun-shy at this point of his career. So the quarterback play was really bad, but the mismanagement of the roster, the strange play call with the first and 20 halfback dive up the middle, like basically just throwing the white flag on the drive. Pretty much any time the Dolphins got, you know, shot themselves in their own foot, he would wave the white flag on offense and just accept a punt. I mean, there was a play in the Jacksonville game. They were down by, I think it was 10 points in the fourth quarter with five minutes to go. And there was, it was fourth and 18. Sure, it's a long, you know, a long shot to convert that. But he punted the ball. It's like, dude, your seed was on the line, and you just punted and gave the, like, the game's over now that you punted. So it's just really strange decisions, poor personnel decisions, and he's so stubborn and can't get out of his own way. He has a reputation for abandoning things too quickly. If something doesn't work right away, he gets nervous and goes to some sort of other thing that he's going to do. Is that more or less what you saw during his time in Miami? 100%. One of the things that I really couldn't stand about him was the fact that they would do things that were successful and they wouldn't come back to it. I mentioned Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. The week three game against the Oakland Raiders, they had two of those little pop passes on the jet, the jet sweep where you just have the quarterback catch the snap and pop it to the receiver coming across on the jet sweep. And they scored, I think it was a 19-yard touchdown and a 75-yard touchdown on those two plays. I think we ran that play maybe two more times the rest of the entire season. And they run these inside trap plays that are really successful where you wham block the defensive tackle and Frank Gore takes a quick dive at the middle for six or seven yards that was so successful all year long. But he found a way to get away from that stuff. So basically whatever worked, I feel like he wanted to be like, okay, well, yeah, that worked. But I have more goods, more goods in my bag of tricks for you guys. I'm going to keep kind of pulling them out and just show you how much of a genius I am rather than just going with what worked previously. So you would say that he was a poor game manager overall? Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the reports that have come out, Travis, regarding the players on the team that went to management, went to ownership, and complained about Gase. In fact, two of the guys that were named in the report are two guys that you would never, ever expect to see doing something like this, which would be Frank Gore and Cam Wake, who have stellar reputations. Frank Gore, as I was joking to you off the phone before we started recording, if you're a wrestling fan, is sort of like the undertaker of the NFL at this point, one of the most respected veterans in the entire league. So to me, if he's going to ownership and complaining, something's really wrong, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and Cam Wake really, I mean, yeah, Frank Gore has the NFL lore, but Cam Wake is that same thing as far as in Miami. Like, he is royalty in Miami. And for him, he, he was given four opportunities post-game at his locker to kind of say, yeah, and, and endorse Adam Gaze because guys were asking him questions that were in roundabout ways saying, do you think Adam Gaze should be back? And he continued to decline comment on it each and every time. So that was the biggest one to me, just because Cam Wake like is the face of the Dolphins, which that might be kind of sad to say, but he is the face of the Dolphins. And for him to not come to bat for Adam Gaze, that, that was the biggest telling sign for me. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Travis, tell me a little bit about the relationship with the coaches. Was there a strong coaching staff other than Gase? Did he interact well with them? How was he in the CEO aspect of things? Well, not good because the defensive staff had issues that he wasn't even privy to as the season went along because I think it was actually, it might have been the game against the Jets in Miami, that horrible game that set offenses back about 3,000 years. I think it was, (laughs) I think that was a game that Rashad Jones pulled himself out of the game and basically quit on the team. And uh, Matt Burke was the defensive coordinator. He said that that was a Rashad Jones decision. We want him to play. He was healthy, but he pulled himself out of the game and made that decision on his own. And Adam Gaze, the following week in the pressers, he didn't know anything about that. He had no idea what was going on. So he really only has his finger on the pulse of the offense. And while a lot of coaches do have, you know, like Sean McVay, for instance, he'll sit on the sidelines and, and kind of chart plays or whatever while the defense is on the field. But Adam Gaze does that too and caught a lot of flack for it. But to idea what's going on with your defensive staff to just try to relegate or delegate things but not have any control over them that kind of seemed to be the mo for adam gaze miami reminds me a little bit of that story with rex ryan in 2011 where santonio holmes got kicked out of the huddle by the offense and in the presser after the game rex ryan was asked about it and he had no idea which again cemented in people's heads (laughs) that rex had no clue what was going on within his own team that's what you're telling me here with gaze yeah that sounds identical Wow, that's a hell of a selling point. So if you're Adam Gase and you're trying to sell yourself <laughs> to an NFL team as a head coach, what are you telling them exactly? He goes back to the excuses. And that's what he said throughout the course of the last you know, three weeks of the season when they got beaten down by the Vikings, they got beat by a bad Jaguars team and destroyed by a bad Buffalo team. And he continued to say, well, because somebody asked him, like, what, what is your, what, why does the team suck so bad on the road, basically? And he gave all these BS excuses like, you know, we got the Vikings. They just fired their coach. So they came out of the game fired up. It's like, well, you guys were in a playoff chase. You just had the biggest win or the most exciting win in franchise history. And you guys come off of that. You can't get excited. So he just had all these excuses, same thing over and over again, pointing back to the fact that I have all these injuries. When really, in reality, the Dolphins didn't have the worst luck of injuries in the league. They weren't even close to the top like the top three or four teams as far as injuries goes, but he continued to point to that as his biggest sticking point. It's just like, dude, take some accountability because it was never a case of Adam Gase saying that's something I got to get fixed on my own end. It sounds almost like Josh McDaniel's tenure in Denver where he developed a reputation for being quote-unquote too smart for his own good, too stubborn to listen to anybody, and basically ended up outsmarting himself and getting himself fired in a couple of years to the point where he had to humble himself and go back to being an offensive coordinator. Do you kind of see that with Gase? Yeah, you're spot on right there because there was actually a report after the game against the Colts back in like week 12. It was Tannehill's first game back. It was off the bye week. And if the Dolphins had won that game, they were going to be in great position to make a push for an AFC wildcard spot because of tiebreakers and all that stuff I won't get into. But they had a great chance to win that game. We're up by 10 late. 
and he took the ball out of Ryan Tannehill's hands late down the stretch. And after the game, Stephen Ross, apparently the Dolphins' owner, had wanted to chat with Adam Gaze, and Gaze was so pissed off or fired up, whatever you want to call it, that he literally blew up at Stephen Ross and said, you're talking about, I'm the football guy here. Like, shut up, basically. And someone had to pull Adam Gaze aside and say, dude, like, I, yeah, you're probably right, but that's your that's your boss. That's like he's the owner of the football team. You can't talk to him that way. I mean, that's how it is in every walk of life. And Adam Gaze is just out here thinking that he is boy genius and that he can do no wrong. So I think he really needed a reality check as far as his ego and his temperament go. I'm going to ask this question, even though some people are going to accuse you of being biased because you're a Dolphins fan. If you were an NFL owner, is there any way that you would consider hiring Gase to be the head coach of your team without going back to being a coordinator first after all the things you just told me as far as picking fights with management, having trouble controlling the staff, not even seeming to know what's going on within his own team, and then having multiple players go to ownership and complain about him? The one that would make sense to me, I think, would be the Green Bay Packers because of what he's done with high-level quarterbacks in the past. I think that he could get a lot out of Aaron Rodgers. And to kind of make this more, you know, Jets-specific, you know, I know all you guys believe in Sam Darnold is the next big thing. He very well could be. And I think that he has some of those traits Darnold does that could be kind of that could kind of mesh well with Gates. So I think that's your one sticking point. But then again, like you said, why would you hire a guy to be a head coach when the only thing he does well is work with a quarterback? So I, my answer would be no. But I think the Packers' job would make some sense. To that end, though, you said he works well with quarterbacks, but it sounds like Tannehill regressed a lot, as you were talking about earlier. Some of that's got to be on Gase, right? Yeah, 100%. That's part of the the inability to adapt to what he has on his own roster because it was basically, you're going to run my scheme or we're going to get the players into the can run the scheme. And then they did that this year and it didn't work out. And with Ryan Tannehill, you know, he's always been, Tannehill's always gotten by on the physical traits, right? He has the big arm. He's a plus athlete. But he's always been, for lack of a better term, dumb when it comes to football. Like He can't process. He wasn't good pre-snap. He's not good at recognizing rotation post-snap. And that's what Adam Gates' offense is all about, these route combinations that free up one receiver, and you have to have sight adjustments with the defense. And Tannehill's not that guy. He's never going to be that guy. It was obvious in week one this year he missed a few reads in that Titans game, and they continued to try to do it over and over again. And for three years, he wanted to institute this, this hurry-up, no-huddle scheme that he had in Denver, and Tannehill just wasn't sharp enough to do it, yet they kept trying to start it off the season every year by doing that, and they'd have to abandon it and scrap it. So he just never got out of his own way. And with, with Tannehill, he tried to force something that wasn't there. But if you had a much higher-level quarterback as far as processing goes, like I think Darnold's probably a lot better than Tannehill in that regard, it would make more sense that way. So you would say that essentially Gase in his mind has the schemes that he wants to run, and he's going to force those schemes on players even if the players have shown that they are not strong in that scheme. So he has no ability to adjust. Yeah, that's exactly right. And with, with this season that we had in 2018 where they kind of ushered out all these kind of long stays in Miami, whether it's Mike Pouncey, Jarvis Landry, you know, and Dominican Sue, whatever you want to call it, you know, he, he said we're going to get the guys that can do what I want them to do. And it worked for a minute. Like they had, they had this really kind of good, tight knit group as far as the first part of the season goes, and they beat you know three bad teams to start the year. And it looked good in that way. But then once the injuries started happening, or they had to rely on different guys to do different things, it was just like it all blew up, and they couldn't even move the ball sometimes during the season. You know, I want to ask you too, since you were talking about an over reliance on veterans that he trusts. I want to get back to Jay Cutler for a second. There were a lot of people, myself included, and obviously I'm further removed and you're right there, so I would like to hear what you have to say about this. 
the idea that Jay Cutler was brought in just because Gase knew him and was familiar with him, but that Matt Moore was actually the better option and maybe Miami would have had more success if they had gone to more earlier. Is that a common sentiment still? Yeah, I think so, because Matt Moore came off the bench, and you guys saw in that Jets game when Cutler was pretty much dead man walking, and Matt Moore comes in and sparks the team to a comeback win in the second half, and that was kind of the case throughout the year because Cutler took a few injuries. But the thing with Matt Moore was that he, he's so, he was so brittle at that point of his career, he was never going to make it through 16 games. I think that's kind of why they went back to Cutler. Like I don't blame Adam Gage for signing Jay Cutler, because I think that was the best option they possibly had but it just it was never going to work, and we kind of had to know that going in. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before, and I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, tune in, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Todd Bowles won 10 games his first year, and then obviously we know what happened after that, 14 in the next three years combined. After the first year, everybody was high on Bowles. They thought he might be the next great coach or even just good coach, and so people were pleased going into 2016, and then it started to spiral. What did Gase do right that first year that went so wrong in the following two years? To be honest, and I hate saying this because I feel like you know football fans will say you are what your record says you are, but this team really got lucky a lot under Adam Gase. I even wrote an article a while back, I think it was after the Colts loss going back to that game again, talking about how he has this strong home record, but the truth was is that opposing teams missed like 18 field goals over two years at heart, or against the Dolphins, and the Dolphins missed three field goals in that time. So, I mean, just these little tiny things that really have a big impact on games. And back in 2016, they had against the Jets, a Kenyon Drake kickoff return for a touchdown against the Chargers, a pick six with like two minutes to go when the Chargers were in field goal range in a tie game against the 49ers, a late stop against Colin Kaepernick against a bad Niners team. Like they just found ways to win games late when really they should have been beating these teams by a lot. And then when they lose these games, they get destroyed. So I just think that it was more about the luck factor, which is a bigger deal in the NFL that I think people want to admit to. And they, they were on the right side of that luck a lot of times. And then in other games when there wasn't luck, they got destroyed. Travis, I want to ask you about accountability because you said that Gates had trouble taking accountability for his actions or being able to accept criticism when things went wrong. And before we got on the phone, you talked to me about how toward the end he was questioned a lot about why his team didn't win on the road, which, by the way, was a huge problem for Todd Bowles as well. And he didn't want to hear any of it. He just said, oh, it's injuries, it's injuries, it's injuries, right? Yeah, that, that that was pretty much the extent of it. And the fact that the teams they were playing at the time were hot, which, <laughs> I, you know, I don't even know how to quantify that because, I, I mean, if you can't get your own guys out to play, then what does it say about you? Travis, I want to throw this out there, too, because even though it's going to sound crazy, it's being brought up by people, apparently even in Dolphin circles, which I didn't know about until you told me. Some have said that Gase just wanted out of Miami because he thought it was a terrible situation, and so he basically tanked the last two years to get out of his deal so that he could go somewhere else. That's preposterous to me, but what is the thought behind that? What is the pro-Gase conspiracy crowd throwing out there to support that claim? Yeah, so for two years, I would say that's, that's pretty r- ridiculous because, I mean, after his first year, he was a Coach of the Year candidate, and people thought you know, that he was a, you know, a god amongst men. 
And so I would say that for two years, that's ridiculous. But the last few weeks of the season, and, you know, you mentioned like the press conference comments, that's kind of where that idea comes from because the comments that he made were so ludicrous that it's like you can't really believe that. And if you take that to the owner, Stephen Ross, like if you go to him with that as your justification for why you're losing these games on the road, then you're going to get fired on the spot. And that's why I think where some of that came from was like, he can't possibly believe that. He's too smart to believe that. And maybe he's so smart that he wants to get out of here. And that's what his justification will be to get out of here. Because Stephen Ross, after the season was over at his, you know, when, at the, the introductory press conference for Chris Greer, the new EVP of football ops, he said that a very telling quote to me was that Adam Gaze wants to win now. And it's like, well, don't you guys want to win now? But I think what they were going to propose to Adam was a total strip down and rebuild because I don't think Stephen Ross thought this roster was as close as Adam Gaze did. And Stephen Ross wanted to trade back and take Lamar Jackson. That was his preference, which is hilarious because that might have been a great idea. And Stephen Ross, the least qualified football decision maker in that entire building, <laughs> was the one that made that call. And so I think that the, the writing was on the wall from that point was that Mike Tannenbaum, you guys know this all way too well, that he wants to patch holes with free agents that are questionable. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to pay away more than their actual value. And that's probably what they would have done again this offseason. Stephen Ross said, no, well, I'm not doing that again. And then Adam Gay said, well, I'm not doing what you want to do. So let's just part ways. And I think that kind of was where that idea came from. So if Gase had gone along to get along, you think he might still be the coach? Yeah, I do. Even after the Buffalo loss, too, because Stephen Ross, was he's so knee-jerk reaction. There was a game back in 2014 when we beat the Vikings on a walk-off like safety or something like that. And he, he lost his mind in the locker room and said, Joe Philbin's not going anywhere. And we're like, oh, great. So, like, <laughs> he, he brought him back for that season, and he just was so oblivious to what needed to happen with his own organization, and they wound up firing Joe Philbin four games into that season next year. So I, I just think that he was so clueless to what he was going to do, but Adam Gates kind of forced his hand and made it easy on him that way. So Gase and Tannenbaum, you clean house. It's funny you mentioned Tannenbaum and his tendency to do what he does. As you said, we know it all too well here in New York. It's all about signing the flashy free agents and going out and trading draft picks for veterans. And that looks nice on paper until you look around and realize that nobody on the team under the age of 30 is any good and the roster starts to collapse. And so based on what you're telling me, it sounds like Gase wanted to keep going in that direction. So would he even be happy? Do you think coming to a team like the Jets that is still in the middle of a rebuild, really? I would say probably more because you guys have the quarterback in place already. Because like the Dolphins this year, I mean, Unless something crazy happens, I don't know what the hell they're going to do at quarterback. It could be Luke freaking Falk starting next year, for all I know. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that would be what would incline Adam Gates to kind of take more towards the Jets. Plus, you have that high draft pick. That's a really attractive thing for head coaches to want to take. So, I mean, and also, I've also heard from Jeff Darlington that Adam Gates, nobody on the planet holds a grudge more than Adam Gates does. So, for him to go to the Jets and get a chance to play the Dolphins twice a year, I think he would absolutely love that. Interesting. Sometimes that leads to good results, and sometimes that leads to Rex Ryan as head coach of the Buffalo Bills. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We'll see how this turns out, but Travis, I have to say, lots of great insight, and as I tell everybody, if you want to know about the Dolphins, follow Travis on Twitter, listen to him on Locked on Dolphins, read LockedOnDolphins.com. Even if you're not a Dolphins fan, it doesn't matter. You want to know what's going on with your division rivals, and Travis is the best there is. He goes on the jet take a lot because he's friends with Kyle Fahey. I don't judge you for that. It's okay. (laughs) Questionable friends, but that's all right. 
I kid, I kid. I love Fahey. He's like the crazy little brother that I never had. <laughs> He's been on Know Your Foe with Michael Nanny to talk Dolphins. He's been on with me. In fact, you were on the post-game podcast with me last season, and you're going to continue to be our go-to guy for Dolphins stuff. So, Travis, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate your insight, my man. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you or wasn't paying attention when I was mentioning Locked on Dolphins, go ahead and give out your information. Yeah, Locked On Dolphins podcast, LockedOnDolphins.com, and my Twitter handle is my last name, at Wingsfield NFL. So pretty simple, and thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Travis. Really appreciate it. I'm glad that we were able to do a candidate profile here on Adam Gase as we wait to see if Mr. Gase will be the next head coach of the New York Jets. But now you know a lot more information than you did because Travis is a Miami Dolphins encyclopedia. So if anybody could shed some light on this, it was him. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to bringing you more of these candidate profiles over the next couple of days. Meantime, go ahead and check out Travis on Locked on Dolphins. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.